come and worship with us. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Emily. Okay. So I'm really looking forward to um, spending a few moments just teaching you out of the book of Ephesians. Those of you that are new uh, to Christian life, I know lots of guests that are in here. We began a couple of weeks ago teaching through this book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to chapter 3. And so I kicked it off teaching on chapter 1. Landon also spoke on chapter uh, 2 last week. And today I want to talk to you about um, one of the most incredible uh, revelations that the Lord has given to us through the Apostle Paul. I think it's very important and very relevant for what we're dealing with today with what's going on in the Middle East. And I think today as you and I study through this passage of scripture, maybe it'll help you understand why believers, New Testament believers have such a connection with the nation of Israel. Why exactly it is that we feel just um, our hearts are connected with them and why we should care. In fact, a few years ago when we went to uh, Israel, I remember our team standing in the Golan Heights. We were at a fort that was really not being used at that time, but we were standing at this precipice and we were looking over into Syria. And I can remember as we were looking over to Syria, there were, um, there were military uh, automobiles and, and they were just... Uh, uh, streaming all throughout that area. Next thing you know, we saw mortars that were erupting and, then, and there was a, a fighting that just broke out across the border in Syria while we were there. And we kind of looked at one another and looked at the guy that we were with. It's like, uh, do we need to be concerned? And they're like, no, this is just not, this is just normal. This is natural, normal activity. And, um, you know, my heart is so grieved by what we're seeing that's happening in what we call the Holy Lands. Just the, the bloody massacre, the disrespect for life, the disregard to, um, of what God and who God is, is just so troubling to me. And I want you to understand uh, something, everybody, that this conflict, this hatred, this ethnic war, it goes back so far. And um, the Apostle Paul actually dealt with this. In fact, in chapter 3, um, we find something in interesting. He calls this the mystery of Christ. And, and in, the, in, the, in the Bible, the Bible teaches us that a mystery, when the Bible identifies something that is a mystery, it doesn't mean it's something that's hard for you to figure out. It simply means it's something that God knows in his, in his mind, in his heart, but it has not been revealed until the appropriate time. And now that time it has been revealed. And the mystery of Christ, the Apostle Paul was an ambassador of it. He, was, he had the assignment. It was his job to reveal something that was hidden from generations prior and I'm thanking God that it was revealed to us. And I'm going to show you this in just a moment. But I want you to understand that the world in ancient times, let's call ancient times the time of the Bible, okay? In the times of the Bible, the world was divided into different groups. 
And for the Jews, there were two main groups. There were the Jews, God's covenant people, and they were everybody else that was not a Jew was a Gentile. So there were Jews and there were Gentiles. And that division seemed so absolute to the Jews that any talk of reconciliation or any talk of unification seemed outrageous. It seemed impossible. And it was in this setting that Jesus showed up. And so the division was so strong and so real. The Jews believed that they were God's chosen people and that Gentiles were dogs. To eat with them was a sin. To worship with them was impossible. And, but there wasn't, this wasn't the only division during the times of the Bible. There were also divisions among the Gentiles. In fact, the Gentiles had their classifications too, especially the Greeks. The whole world for them was divided into two, Greeks and barbarians. And the Greeks, in their mind, they considered themselves to be civilized, to be knowledgeable. Uh, to, they considered themselves to be the philosophers of the world. If you've ever seen... Um, that movie about my Greek wedding, or I can't remember what it's called, but it's quite hilarious. It's kind of true to form. The Greeks considered that the fact that they knew more and they were more educated than the barbarians. They considered them to be the ignoramuses of the world, illiterate, uncivilized, vile. And so it's in this setting that Jesus shows up and the church is established in this setting with all of this division, with all of this hatred, uh, with all of this um, division. And in the church at Ephesus, there was this collection. It was a small collection of Jews. Most of them were Gentiles. Among those Gentiles, there were a lot of them were Greeks. Of course, there were Romans because the Roman Empire had conquered the world. But the Romans and the Greeks, they both... They both worshipped a lot of uh, idols. And then there were bar the barbarians that lived all throughout Europe. I mean, you had this hodgepodge of people that lived there, and the racial division was huge. And in the middle of this, you have people that are coming to Christ and in Ephesus, and they are enjoying Jesus. But underneath that surface, underneath the surface of these redeemed people enjoying Jesus was well, there was this ethnic bias, and there was tension between them. And the Jews were grappling with, do we worship together with the uncircumcised Gentiles? And the Greeks uh, were grappling also, do we respect the Jews? Do... And in the middle of all this, the Apostle Paul writes this book to the church at Ephesus because it had such ethnic diversity and that God downloaded an incredible revelation for them about who they were to be, these new Christians from different racial, ethnic backgrounds that had been thrown in together with a love for Jesus, a common love for Jesus. And in Ephesians chapter 1, if you read it when I was studying it, you remember that he says this, that it is the mystery of his will the mystery of his will was to have for himself, God to have for himself a united people from all nations. 
from, from different races, from different tribes, and which is really interesting to me, as you read through the New Testament, from different genders. And so both bond and free, male and female, that they all would be equal in the eyes of God. And this was the mystery of his will, that, th that one day there would be this glorious new body. He calls this the church, that this church uh, is the revelation or is the fulfillment of this mysterious will or something that was not revealed that God was going to do. He was going to reconcile all things unto himself in Christ. This is what the book of Ephesians is about. And in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul revisits this mystery, okay? And, uh, and re remember, it's a mystery of something that existed in the mind of God but had not been fully revealed. Okay, that's the backdrop. Let's read the first six verses in Ephesians chapter 3. So for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, just a comment, he's in Rome, in prison, but he acknowledges that he's a prisoner of the Lord. He's been arrested by God, and he, is, and he delights in that. Verse 2, he says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written about briefly in chapter 1. Okay? In reading this, he says, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God to, uh, uh, Spirit of God's to his holy apostles and prophets. Now pay close attention to verse 6, because what the Apostle Paul says is that God has given me this administration. I've, got, I've, I've received this responsibility. This is my assignment, and he has given this to me, and I'm stepping up. By the way, you remember Paul was Saul of Tarsus, who was a Pharisee who hated Christians and was kept persecuting them. He was one of the original terrorists that tormented the church, but the Lord intervened revealed the risen Jesus, appeared to him, revealed himself to him, struck him down with blindness, and then God spoke to him. And, and Paul has this relationship with Christ, and he gave them a, an assignment. And this is what he says, verse 6. The mystery, what is the mystery? He defines it. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So I want you to see, I want you to pay close attention to this, everybody, because he uses the word together. Now this is in the original Greek language. There's a prefix that means together. And in this version, it translates the word together, that we are together, we are heirs together with Israel. Heirs together with Israel, we are members together of one body, and we are sharers together in the promise in Christ. Everybody say together. Yeah. Okay, it's really important for you to get this, that the Gentiles would be saved at some point was not really the mystery. 
because there was provision for Gentiles in the Old Testament to, pros, to become proselytes, to proselytize themselves and become Jewish. They, they were allowed to do that, but they had to accept the law. They had to be circumcised. They had to live under the, not just the ceremonial aspects of the law, but the covenantal aspects of the law. They had to offer sacrifices for their sin. And they could proselyte over, but they had to renounce all of their heritage. And they basically had to become Jews. Okay? So there was provision for that. But the mystery is that God was going to save the Gentiles, non-Jews also. And he was going to do it in such a way that the two, the Jews and the Gentiles, would become one new race or one new man or one new people group. Two people groups becoming one. This is so significant. And this, by the way, everybody, this, this is why there was so much conflict when the apostle Paul was taking the gospel with many others to the Gentile world, because the Jews had this hostility against the Gentiles. And if they were going to serve Jesus, then in their mind, there was only one pattern that they had to follow, and they had to accept and adopt the Old Testament covenant. And the apostle, this is a huge conflict in the early church. We're like, no, we, we don't think they need to be circumcised and start killing lambs. We, just, we think they need to accept Jesus and live in purity underneath the lordship of Christ. Okay, so this mystery was hid... Um, and that mystery is that we Gentiles would not become spiritual Jews, but rather by the divine purpose of God, God would make the Jew and the Gentile, the believing Jews and the believing Gentiles, one new man called the church, his church, his body formed by the spirit of God. And get this, you see a big tank up here. We're going to do baptism and that this this would happen through baptism. There's something really powerful and significant about baptism. How that we are baptized into the body of Christ. So, I want you to get this, everybody. The mystery is this. That believing Jews and believing Gentiles. I'm talking about Romans and Greeks and barbarians and Arabs and Africans. And yes, even Americans. Um, yes, even Tennesseans. Yes, even Cajuns down in South Louisiana. Yes, even Yankees up in Mi Michigan. That these, even the crazies in California, sorry everybody, but all of us would become this crazy melting pot of a bunch of people who love Jesus and unexplainedly love one another. Because love has been shed abroad in our heart, we can't help but love one another. Even if the person sitting next to you talks funny, how many of you know you can still love them and you still do? You might not understand them very well, but you love them. Turn to somebody and just say, I love you, man. Or I love you, girl. Everybody listen to me. Nobody and no thing can remove racial and ethnic hatred and violence like Jesus. I'm going to say it again. Nobody and no thing can remove racial and ethnic hatred and violence like Jesus. 
I'm talking about real Jesus-loving people. We have a unique ability to love people as though they are family, even other nationalities. We have a connection because God has created the church and he has taken us from every tribe and tongue and he has humbled us about our sin. And, and as we have repented, he has given us a new heart and that heart is to love God and love one another. That's the beauty and glory of the gospel. And so, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, is basically a summarized statement of what Paul wrote that Landon didn't have time to cover in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 16. And I want to read that to you. So we started in chapter 3, but we got to back up because he... He's summarizing what he has already written. That's why the Apostle Paul said, this mystery I'm telling you about, which I've already written to you about, this is how it's defined, all right? That we are heirs together with Israel and that we not only are heirs together, but together we share in the promise that God has given Israel through Christ and we also are members together of one body. All right, let's read it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, now, I'm going to read in the New Living Translation. Um, so this is a paraphrased translation. It's kind of a modern translation. If you want to look at it in the authorized version, I have checked and double-checked to make sure that the translators in the New Living Translation were not taking a liberty that they should not have take, taken. So this is accurate. I want you to just hear it in more of a modern translation. It begins like this. The Apostle Paul, really chapter 3, there, aren't, there were no chapter breaks in the original manuscripts. They just kind of flow from one to the other. So this began, this teaching in a revelation in Ephesians 3, 6, 1 through 6, was just a continuation of what I'm getting ready to read to you. Don't forget, he says, he's writing this to the members of the church in Ephesus. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens. You were called that by the Jews, he says, and the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. All right, look at verse 12. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises God had made with them. And also the implication is, since you didn't know, you were excluded from them. Okay? You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Now, if you just, would just, if you just read this in the context of 
of the war that's going on in Israel and the hatred between Hamas and the division between the Palestinians and the Jews, I want you to get this, that there was a wall of hostility that existed way back in ancient Israel, even goes back beyond this time. Verse 15, it says, and he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and, his, and regulations. I want you to see this. So he tore down the wall of hostility. In other words, he's saying, Jews, you have no right to be hostile towards Gentiles. Gentiles, let go of your hatred because Jesus, through his body, has removed the thing that divided the Jews and the Gentiles, the wall of hostility. Look at verse 15. He did this by ending the system of the law with his commandments and regulations, and he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two people groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. I just can't help it. This is an incredible revelation. This is so significant for all of us today. I think we ought to just give the Lord praise for this revelation, this mystery that's revealed to us today. And I want to break this down to us, okay? Now, there are a lot of theological opinions about the, the context and the verses that I just read. I'm pastoring Christian Life Church, and I just want to talk to you from my heart what I believe is the accurate interpretation of this passage of Scripture for us today. And the first thing I want, you to, I want to talk about is, number one, is that we are heirs with Israel. I want to talk about these three things. We are heirs with Israel, we are members together of, of one body, and we are sharers together of the promise. Okay? Now, this is what the Word of God says. I didn't write this. The Holy Spirit wrote this through the Apostle Paul. He's the one that received the administration, in other words, the assignment to reveal this mystery that was hidden to the prophets of old, but now is revealed to the apostles and the holy uh, prophets today. And the book of Ephesians, it highlights inheritance in Christ over and over. Five times the word inheritance is used in six chapters. Another four times he talks about the promise. So nine times in the passage of, in, in six small chapters, he's talking about what we have in Christ. Gentiles and Jews together, we have an inheritance because we are in Christ. And the promise is part of that inheritance. And I want you to see this, that inheritance for the Jews, it was extremely important to them. This is why they freaked out about Gentiles trying to hone in on their inheritance. This is why the land of Israel is a powder keg right now, because they believe that God has given them the promised land as their inheritance. I believe God gave them the promised land as their inheritance too. In fact, when I visited Israel, I wasn't about to try to buy a lot over there. I wasn't going to stake some claim and decide, this is mine. I am, I am a, a child of Abraham, so I, I belong here. No, I'm just going to live right over here in Murfreesboro and be happy with my little half-acre lot. And I just want them to be blessed in Israel, and I want, them to, I want them to find their land and enjoy their covenant promise that came from God. Can you say amen to that? That's a little weak, but I, 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 I want you to know that 
This is their promised land. And God is a God of covenant. And I believe that when the Jews came back to their promised land, I believe that God was in the workings there. And everyone that decides that they're going to drive Israel off of their promised land will pay the price for that because God says it, that, that all the nations will be blessed in Abraham. All of the nations will be blessed through the Jews. And those that bless you will be blessed. And those that curse you will be, will be cursed. And God himself is a God of covenant, and he keeps his covenant. He even keeps his covenant to ethnic Israel. And we're talking about ethnic Israel that needs to get right with God, but we're also talking about believing Israel that has fallen in love with Jesus, and there are many of them, and God has promises for both of them. Okay. So the divine covenants that God promised Israel was land, a priesthood, a kingdom, physical and material blessings, and for those that would believe, he, believed, he promised them eternal life and heaven with him. But there, God made certain promises to the nation of Israel, and, and most of those promises are still valid, and they will come to pass. Some of them have already been fulfilled. But I, I want you to see this, that God promised the children of Israel, the land of, of Israel, and they're going to have it. I believe they're going to have all of it. They don't have all of it now, but they're going to have it. And I'm just telling you that we are blessed to live in the day that we're living in right now. We are blessed, even though, listen, everybody, we may not enjoy the constant tranquility of peace that maybe generations before enjoyed. I'm telling you, God has never promised you peace through the government, he promised you that you would have peace in Jesus, peace in Christ. He brings peace. And he's, the promise is peace in the midst of conflict and trial and hatred. There is a place with Christ where you and your family can crawl up into and say, I know the world is dangerous. I know that the world is threatening, but I know that Jesus loves us and we're going to walk in the peace of God and claim the peace of God because that's God's promise to us. So there, are, there is an inheritance that's coming for the Jewish nation that harkens all the way back to God's covenant with Abraham and also the Mosaic covenant. And we don't have time to teach this when I need to baptize a bunch of people. Isn't this exciting, everybody? But I'm just trust me, there are promises that are still valid and God is still working. And an awakening is coming to the ethnic Israel when they will see and believe and know and repent and accept and enjoy Jesus Christ, their Messiah. It's coming one day. I hope we get to see it in our lifetime. All right. Now, so what is God's promise to us? What is our inheritance to us? Well, we, you know, there's a lot of things that we, that we inherit and one is life I'm just talking about redeemed life and do, is there a place for us well do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples I'm, in John 14 verse 2 I'm leaving and I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare it for you I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be that's the biggest promise that God could ever give us is that he won't forget about us and he won't leave us but he's preparing a place for us. And wherever he is, that's where we will be. What else do you want? 
just to be, remember he said you were far away, but now you've been brought near. That bringing us near begins now, but it lasts through eternity, that we will stay near with him. Let me just address this issue, everybody. I want to talk to you about the incredible blessing of being in Christ and one new man. Galatians, when he wrote the book of Galatians, Paul, uh, Paul t- confirms a lot of things we're talking about now. Verse 27 says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor f- and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We just shouted about that a few minutes ago. And if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. All I'm wanting you to see is that covenant Israel and believing Christians are united in this incredible fusion of becoming one new body that's made up of Jews and Gentiles. To the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And what is that inheritance? Well, it, 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 it is a promise of justification through faith, not through works. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Galatians says that we are sons of Abraham, children of Abraham, if we believe. What that means is since you are trusting in your faith in Christ, that he has redeemed you, then you are justified, made righteous by your faith that you have placed in Jesus. And that's what makes you sons of the promise, which is the promise of justification through faith. So what is the wall of separation that Paul identifies? Again, there's lots of opinions, but it's pretty clear to me that verse 14 of chapter 2 says, For Christ himself brought peace to us, and when he did that, he united Jews and Gentiles into one people in his own body, And he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So people have lots of opinions, but I just remember when we were studying through the book of Acts, and you probably recall this over the summer, that when Paul went to Jerusalem, remember they didn't want him to go to Jerusalem, but he was determined to go to Jerusalem and testify about Jesus and what the Lord was doing among the Gentiles. And they warned him, don't go, prophets prophesy, don't go. But he went, and he was arrested, and he was beaten, and he was attacked. And some of the people that wanted him dead, they made up a lie. They said of Paul that, that he is the troublemaker in Jerusalem because we've even seen him take Gentiles beyond the wall, beyond the wall or the place of Gentiles. They said he's brought them into the Holy of Holies and these are the holy place, and he has desecrated the temple by bringing Gentiles in there. Paul did not bring Gentiles in there. It was a lie. But this is what stirred up everybody against it because that's the wall of hostility. The Gentiles, many of them wanted to know God and they wanted to cross over into the presence of God. They wanted wanted the relationship that Israel supposedly had with God or did have with God. But there was a barrier that separated them. Well, Jesus fulfilled, really, the law and its ordinances and so he tore down the wall when he, when he gave his life as, a, as the sacrifice for sin. And so there was no longer a need for that wall because whosoever will might come. And that's why the gospel is opened up to all of us. 
Okay, so the wall of separation, the, so the, Paul is saying to the Jews in Ephesus, don't treat your, the, your Greek brothers and sisters, your Roman brothers and sisters, your, those that are barbarians, don't treat them with hostility any longer because we are the same body in Christ and there's no dividing wall there any longer. You know, uh, religion at its worst, has so many dividing walls. I mean, just think about it, everybody. Religion, but a relationship with Jesus tears down dividing walls and gives us freedom and a heart to live in peace with one another. That's the mystery of the gospel. So he says that we are heirs together with Israel. What, do we, what is our inheritance? A relationship with God through faith that we can come into the presence of God. There's no wall separating us for access. And that we now, not only can we go into the temple, but we are the temple of God. And, and he dwells in temples not made with hands. He dwells when inside of us. And that's the promise of our inheritance. So we are members together of one body. So I want you to see this. How did he, how, how he t tore down that wall of hostility? Let me read it to you again, verse 15. He did this by ending the system of the law and its commandments and its regulations. And he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people or one man or one race from the two groups. Now, it's very interesting, and this is really strong language. Apostle Paul says in other translations, he abolished the law and its ordinances. In other words, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews teaches us clearly that Jesus has become our high priest. Not only that, he's become the final sacrifice for all of our sin. And so through Christ, when you got saved, you didn't become a Jew, and you didn't have to start keeping all of the feasts and offering sacrifices with lambs and bulls and all that kind of stuff. We've never done that because the blood of Jesus, hello, all of those things pointed to the blood of Jesus and in the blood of Jesus, the sins of the world are potentially forgiven if they would just trust in him. Somebody ought to thank God because that's the mystery of Christ. You say he ended the law. How does all of this work? Well, you know, there is the covenantal law, there is the redemptive nature of the law, there is the ceremonial aspects of the law, there's feasts, there's sacrifices, all the things that, that Jews do, and, and all of those things are beautiful and wonderful, but they all point to Jesus. They all point to Christ. Everybody, do you see this? They all point to Christ. And through Je what, what Jesus has done for us is that he took on all the sins of the world. There no longer needs to be a covering splattered on you of the blood of bulls and goats or turtle doves. That doesn't need, that doesn't need to happen anymore because Jesus has shed his blood in our hearts. It doesn't need to be sprinkled on our face. Hello, everybody? And I know that there are a lot of, we have Jewish people in here and they love their heritage and I do too. I mean, I love your heritage. I'm not, I'm not Jewish, but I know that there are a lot of people that love to celebrate the feasts and they love to celebrate all of the ethnic things that covenant Israel did. And I just say, enjoy it. Just take deep dives into it. 
But don't let it ever take you away from your love for Jesus because he is the Messiah and everything points to the glorious victory that was won on the cross and was confirmed through the resurrection. Amen? All right. So he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by removing the hostility the, the law of Moses no longer stands as a dividing factor between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. Believing Jews and believing Christians, uh, believing Gentiles have become the church. Can you say amen? And the, the unity of this one new body, get this everybody, it happens through water baptism. Let me read this to you and I'm going to bring this to a close. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and 13. Look, for just as the body is one and has many members, Greeks, Romans, Jews, barbarians, Tennesseans, Louisianans, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we are all made to drink from one spirit. I just want you to see that we are in Christ. Landon had that great illustration of all those tubs last week that we are, are contained in Christ, but Christ is in us, and we are in one, with one another. And so this is the beautiful thing, and something happens powerfully. Those people are getting baptized today, and those of you that have been baptized, maybe you have not seen this. But baptism is the incredible blessing that God has given to his believers, his sons and daughters, whereby we are spiritually baptized into this glorious, mysterious, newly formed church made up of all of these ethnic people that now have become known as the sons of God. And so I just, I want you to see this. Christianity is the only religion in the world that truly is described as an equal opportunity faith. You know, Christianity is the only one. And I just, I want you to see this. It, you, there is level ground for Christians, both young and old, male and female. Listen, if you have a Jewish background, I love you. I'm so happy that you know the Lord. But you don't have an advantage over somebody that's a Greek in their pagan background. You know, in Christ, he makes us equal. If you're a male, for heaven's sakes, do you think that you are more valuable or important than the females in the body of Christ? There's no such division. The hostile, hey, I don't know. If you are really saved and you find yourself hostile towards anybody else, you need to go back to the altar because he tears down walls of hostility. Oh, it was really quiet. Okay. <laughs> and then the last thing is that we're sharers together of the promise. This is what when he, in Ephesians chapter three, verse six, we are heirs together with Israel. We are, We are together, made into one body, and we are sharers together in the promise. Shares. 
I, 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 I spent a lot of time studying on this because what is the promise that Paul had in mind? I'm, I'm not quite sure. But I know that there are two promises that I believe that were really important in this day when Paul was doing his evangelistic work. And one of them was the promise that's called the promise of the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit that was poured out in, on the day of Pentecost. And if you remember when we were studying the book of Acts in the summertime, that we talked about how the, when the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles, and part of the evidence that it came upon them was they were speaking in tongues in the way that the early Jews were speaking in tongues. That it freaked out Peter and a bunch of the others. And he went back, he went back to Jerusalem and he said, God's doing the same thing in the Gentiles that he did for us in Jerusalem. And they acknowledge if God, if the Spirit has come upon the Gentiles in Samaria and other places, and the same way it came upon us in Jerusalem, then God must be opening door for the Gentiles. And they all pronounced that. And of course, this stirred up the big controversy. I, I, I love this. Galatians chapter 3 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. See, so the promise of the spirit manifesting in the life of the New Testament believers that were living in Ephesus is the same promise to us. You, okay, I'm going back to Acts again. You remember in the book of Acts, I was teaching on Ephesians, and the first thing that happened when Paul was passing through Ephesus, he saw some believers that had been baptized by John. And he asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit since they believed? And they said, we didn't know that there was. Paul laid his hands on it, prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues. They prophesied. And that was the beginnings of uh, that little outpouring of the Spirit was the beginning of this massive church and movement in Ephesus. I, just want, I want you to see this, that the promise of the Spirit is one of the promises that we share together. Paul said in chapter 1 of, of Ephesians that we Jews were the first to receive the blessing of the Spirit, but now it's poured out on all of us, and together we have received that promise. And then the last one, everybody, is the promise of the resurrection. Stand up. I want, I want, you, I want you to stand to your feet because I just want you to see this. This is another great promise, which is resurrection life. And that's what this, hey, keep the lights up, would you guys, please? This, this is what the promise is of water baptism, the promise of the resurrection. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is standing before Agrippa and Festus, and he says this, he says, I'm standing here on trial for something that I hope in. He goes, because I have a hope in a promise that was made by God to our fathers, to which the 12 tribes hope to attain. And as they earnestly worship night and day, look, he says, and for this hope I'm accused by the Jews? And he says, King, listen, why is it thought so incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? See, see, 
This is what we're sharing in. God made this promise to Israel of resurrection power. And that promise was made to the church also. And this is what water baptism is all about. It's so significant. Romans chapter 3, I'm, I'm sorry, 6, says that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with him by proxy through Christ's baptism. It was as though we were dying with him. So we died for our sins. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Just as we are united with him in his death, we will also be raised with him in his life. Because in his death, I died with Christ. My sin debt was canceled. Because you are identified with Jesus in his death, the penalty and the pain of your past sin and your future sin, the debt was canceled. It was canceled. And because you are identified by the Spirit, with his burial, your old identity, that old sinful you that could not stand before God has taken on a new identity. You're not the old man or woman you used to be. You've been made into a new creature. All things are passed away. All things have become new. You have a new identity. You are part of the church the body of Christ, and you are free. And because of baptism, the life that you now live, that's lived in the body, you live by the faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you, and now you are alive in the Spirit. You are alive, and death is gone. Death has lost its sting. It's lost its control over you, everybody. Because of what Jesus has done. And never let anybody or anything take that away from you. The most important thing for you and your future is that you are in Christ. And when we baptize these people and they go down in the water, they're making, an they're making a statement of faith. That my old person is gone and I am buried with Christ. And I'm coming up to live this new life that God has given me. Come on, everybody. That's the work. That's the mystery of Christ. That's the mystery of Christ. Come on, let us shout up to the Lord. He has redeemed us and set us free. Glory to God. All right, let's worship a little bit. I'm going to change my shirt, and then we're going to do some water baptisms.